in just a little bit. So if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 16. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Verse number 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Wow. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. That is the reading of Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, if correctly read. From this passage, God being our helper, I want to preach on this thought. When faith is forsaken. There are times in our life that we forsake our faith and do that which is according to the flesh. Father, would you help us today as we preach the word to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit and preach thy word. And with this I pray in Jesus' name, all God's people say, Amen. Amen. When I was just a kid, my mom and dad, we owned a little Ford. It was a, kind of a yellow looking color and that car broke down on us all the time. Couldn't tell me times we had difficulties with that car, but it always seemed like that my dad had in the car the exact tool we needed to get it fixed. I don't know how he always knew to bring along the right tools. Later on in my life, when I started driving myself, I stopped for some reason and my car wouldn't start back. I didn't have any jumper cables, and I begged and begged and begged and begged until I finally found somebody that had jumper cables and I was able to get my car jumped off and left that place. Then it dawned on me. The reason my dad always had the right tool was because he's had a breakdown before. And I am not without jumper cables to this day. <laughs> Say amen right there. If you have a problem, I guarantee you we've got cables here in this parking lot to help you today. Preacher Darren, why is these... Why are these verses so necessary in the Scripture? If I'd have been right and I'd have left this part out, I believe that God is showing us the breakdown of others that we don't have to suffer in this same breakdown. Abraham has had a spiritual failure. 
a moral failure, a failure of conscience, a failure of faith, if you will. God, I'm encouraged because I knew, I read that God used a man known as the father of the faithful who had a colossal failure in his life. I'm encouraged to know that I don't have to be perfect because there's forgiveness and restoration with God. Amen. And God can still use you. Failure does not have to be final unless you choose it to be. Now, I'm not looking for a place to fail. I don't want to do wrong, but I'm glad to note that God still used Abraham. If you read the book of Hebrews 11, he's listed in the hall of faith, and the truth be known, he had more to say about Abraham than any other character in that chapter, even though he's had a colossal breakdown. And it may just be that right now today, you've had a colossal breakdown of some sort, of some magnitude in your life, but God's been good and has forgiven you and restored you. Amen? Now I'm thinking about what caused Abraham, the man of faith, to forsake his faith. Three things. Number one, I want us to think about the conditions that Abraham faced. The conditions that Abraham faced. First of all, Abraham had a promise. You ought to write this down. He had a promise. Starts with a P. What was his promise? God told him in Genesis chapter 15. He said, I am going to give you a son of your very own loins. And God had made him a powerful promise. Preacher Darren, how can that be an issue if you have a promise? Hey, today you have a promise. God has saved you and he's going to take you home to heaven with him when he comes to get you. God has made you a promise. But then Abraham had a problem. God's timetable was not Abraham's timetable. When God gave Abraham the promise, Abraham now has had the promise for about 10, almost 11 years, and he's still living in the land, and they still don't have a child. There's a great span of time between the promise of God and the fulfillment of that promise. One of the hardest things to do in the Christian walk is to wait on the promise of God. We don't like to wait. You see, the promise becomes a problem because we don't like to wait. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. When God first called Abraham, he's 75. Now he's about 86 years old. 11 years he's waited on the promise. Can you just imagine? He's, Abraham's told his wife, God said he's going to give us a son. Woo! They wake up the next day, no son. They wake up the next week, no son. They wake up the next month, no son. They wake up the next year, no son. Year two, no son. Year three, no son. And on and on and on. I'm talking to people, you don't want to wait 30 minutes. You don't want to wait 30 seconds. And he's waited all these years. I'm talking today to a preacher. Young man, hear me. God puts you in the ministries, puts you at that church. I remember what it was like to go to a small church, started with 23, only seven people back on Sunday night. That counted me, my wife, my daughter. Four people came back to hear me preach. God made me a promise. You take this church, you'll be faithful. I'll do a great work here. Maybe, son, you've been there for a week, a month, a year. Maybe it's been two or three. But God's timetable may not be your timetable, but I promise you this. God will work it out. 
What cause, what conditions were Abraham facing? He's got a promise. He's got a, pro, he's got a problem of waiting. Thirdly, he's got a proposal. In verse number 2, his wife said, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, that, that it may be that, that it may be that I may, that I may, that I may obtain, you see that, that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. You see, Sarah was barren, and she was looked at as a reproach in the community because she was unable to bear a son for her husband, and her shame and her reproach became overwhelming. She's consumed with desire for a child. She's consumed with the, the, the um, impression other people have about her. You know, you may sit here today and say, I don't care what people think. Truth of the matter is, unfortunately, you do. And you let your despair, your desire, what others think about you, you allow that to dictate your decisions. Also, she's not only upset with others around her, she's mad at God because of what God has not done in her life. And it may be today that you're listening to me and you've got a prayer request and it's never been answered. And the devil said, God said if you'd be faithful, he'd answer. And you've been faithful and he's not answered. God don't care. God don't love you. That's where Sarah's at. God's not done anything for me whatsoever. Now, I just want to say this today. She makes a proposal to her husband against the will of God and he follows her suggestion. And after all, she does have a supreme aim in mind. I mean, God said, you're going to have a son and we'll just help God out. We're kind of doing the same thing that God's doing. We're trying to get you a son, Abraham. How many times does somebody try to get you to compromise? It's amazing how many times I was just trying to count in the last two weeks that people have tried to get me to compromise. Well, preacher, it's just a, we're trying to get people to come in. We're trying to win people. Let me, just, let me just say this. What she's saying is, Abraham, let's do wrong that good might be the result. That the end justifies the means. That it's okay to do wrong as long as you can make good come out of it. God doesn't work that way. And the aim that she has in mind is wrong. Also, listen to this. Verse 3, look at verse 3. She, she, verse 3 says, She gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Did you know in that time period it was customary uh, for uh, families to have children with their, ser with their servants? Everybody's doing it. How many times have I heard that? This is what somebody else is doing. Preacher, everybody is going this way. I remember what my daddy told me. Grandpa, he would say, if somebody jumped off a cliff, would you? How many of y'all had your daddy say that to you or your mama? If they jumped off a cliff, would you? You don't do what everybody else is doing. And here is Sarah saying everybody else is doing it. Now, what about that? Well, Hagar flees. Now, look with me in verse 8. You got your Bible open still? Hagar flees, and in verse 8, the Lord, the angel Lord, has found her by the fountain of water. In verse 8, he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, 
Did God recognize the marriage? No, God did not recognize the marriage that Sarah arranged between her husband Abraham and Hagar. God didn't recognize it. God said, Hagar, you are still Sarah's maid. Woo, that's very important right there. Her proposal is socially acceptable in the times in which they live. Everybody's doing it, but it's not right. It's not holy. It's not godly. It's not honest. It is not pure before God. Those are the conditions, just a few conditions, that Abraham faced. Number two, I want you to consider the cause of Abraham's choice. There are three things, you need to write this down. There are three things that will make a Christian fail in their walk. First of all, this starts with the letter P. First of all, Abraham has had a time period in his life where he's been out of place. The word place starts with a P. He's been out of place. You remember this time God called him to Canaan land? He went into Canaan land. The Bible says he's journeying south, south, south until a famine came. And he just kept on going until he came in the land of Egypt. And when he got there, he said, Sarah, you are a 65-year-old knockout. You are beautiful. You are gorgeous. You are beautiful, girl. And when these Egyptians see you and find out I'm your husband, they're going to kill me and they're going to take you. So tell them you're my sister. That will save me alive. Now see, he's compromised and went down to Egypt. And now in his compromise, he's lying. Do you see his failure of the flesh? And so, sure enough, Pharaoh comes and Sarah says, Oh, I'm his sister. And so she's taken off into the household of Pharaoh. What a low-down scumbag of a husband that Abraham is to risk his wife to save his neck. What a great guardian and protector and he-man Abraham, the father of the faithful, really is. And God sent a plague. I don't know if it was COVID or what. <laughs> Came upon Pharaoh's household. But he started questioning. This whole thing started about the time she got here. Did you lie to me, girl? She said, yes, that's really my husband. He goes back to Abraham and says, listen, I've entreated you well. I've given you cattle and all this livestock and all these servants. But bless God, you take them, take your wife and get out of Egypt. You're not welcome here. Why did you lie to me? And Abraham goes out of Egypt. And Abraham has with him wealth. And Abraham has with him a woman. Her name is Hagar. She is an Egyptian. Check your Bible. He got her when he was out of place. And I'm telling you, what will cause you to have a problem in your life is there's had to be a time in your life to this point that you are out of place. And I'm going to point my finger at every one of you because there's not one person in this church sitting here this morning that couldn't say that at one time or another that you've not gotten out of place. And when you got out of place... You brought back or you brought some things into your life that you can't get out of your mind. And it's a dangerous thing. Oh, preacher, damn, but God forgave me. Yes, he has. But the flesh, the spirit is saved, but the flesh is not saved. And there's a tendency, there's a draw for those things to appeal and to allure to your flesh. And I'm warning you, that is one of the causes that you've been out of place. And there's not one here 
that hasn't been out of place in their life. Second of all, there's pressure. Write that down, pressure. Sarah, I'm trying to figure out what kind of religion she has. She has second-hand religion. What? Everything she has known or heard about God, she heard from Abraham. God never spoke to her directly. What are you trying to say, preacher Darren? That God don't talk to women? Oh, no. Because in chapter 18, God deals with her personally. But we're in chapter 16. And I'm pretty sure that 16 is before 18. And at this point, God has not spoken to her personally. She doesn't know him personally. She knows him second-handed. How many of you would do well in that situation where everything you got, you got second-handed? Well, they say, God said, so-and-so said, you wouldn't do too well. And so her temptation is very real to go to the arm of flesh to try to help God out because she has second-hand religion. Her tendency is to lean on the arm of the flesh rather than rely on the promise of Almighty God. I looked up a verse of Scripture. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to paraphrase in Waldropology 101. In Deuteronomy 13, when I read that chapter, the people that will put the most pressure on you, you say, oh, it's the world. No, the people that will put the most pressure on you is those that are closest to you. Your family, your friends that you run in your circle with, they will put more pressure on you than anybody else. And the Bible says whether it's your wife, your husband, your brother, your sister, your mama, your daddy, whoever that is that's trying, the word is entice, they're trying to entice you to do wrong. The Bible says, consent not. God's given you one that's closer than a brother. His name is the Holy Ghost. And he tells you what is right and he tells you what is wrong. I tell you what other kind of religion she has. Not only does she have secondhand religion, she seems to have the religion of an agnostic. She's like saying, there may be a God, there may not be a God, but if there is a God, he's never done anything for me. Never done anything for me. Preacher, she did not say that. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. The scripture says, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Do you see that? God's not done anything for me. She begins to rationalize. Well, I've got a handmaid, and if Abraham goes to my handmaid and I let them get married, then there's nothing wrong with it. And she starts pressuring her husband with her opinions and her beliefs because she has no flesh She's, or no faith. She's trusting the arm of flesh to get things done for her. She says, the arm of flesh, this is how things get done. Will you hear me for a second? Come here, I want to tell you something. If you live in this world long enough, there will be pressures from somebody for you to compromise what you believe that God has taught you to stand for. There will be pressures. Preacher, oh no, I've never, I got some just in the last two weeks. Pressures. For our church, pressures, influences for the school. I'm telling you, the devil does all he can to put pressure on you and get you to compromise. Let me say this. God will not bless the arm of the flesh. God will not bless what man can do in his strength. God will not bless what man can do with his ingenuity. 
God blesses when a man says, Lord, I can't. I need you. If it's going to be done, God, it'll have to be you that does it. That's what God's going to bless when you step out on faith. I'm going to tell you another thing that's against him. Not only has he been out of place, and not only is there pressure on him. Now let me talk about pressure for a second. His wife, Sarah, has become contentious about this. The Bible said that a contentious woman is like a, a dropping of rain on a very rainy, a continual dropping on a very rainy day. That's what the Bible says. Preacher, what does that mean? I was walking by in town, a sidewalk that's got a gutter that's leaking. That, that gutter has leaked for probably 20 years. Since I've lived here, that gutter, I know to avoid it when I'm in town because that gutter's going to drip on you. And there's sidewalk underneath it. And guess what? The sidewalk has got a wore down place. And what do you think wore it down? That continual dripping of rain over the course of 20 years. Hey, Sarah and Abraham, for 11 plus years they've been waiting and she's been pressing him and pressuring him with her beliefs and her opinions because God has not spoken to her personally and she starts trusting the arm of, of flesh and she starts trying to get him to give in and finally I'm telling you, he did. I'm going to tell you why he did. Here's your next word with a P. He was prayerless. Look at Genesis 15. God gave him a revelation when he was praying. Look at Genesis 17. God gave him a revelation when he's on his face. 15 and 17, God did great things in Abraham's life when Abraham was communicating, praying on his face. But I'm pretty sure, Luke, correct me if I'm wrong, but 16 comes after 15 but before 17. It's, am I right? He says I'm right. He went, to, he went to college. And I'm telling you that chapter 16, he's not praying. He's quit communicating with God. Preacher Dan, is it possible that a child of God could quit praying? I don't know. You tell me. How faithful has your prayer life been lately? Abraham didn't have the word of God like we do. But how much Bible you been reading this week? Let's be honest. I've got a camera on a few of y'all. I'm going to show you up on the screen. No, I'm just kidding. He said, well, thank God, preacher dear. He's prayerless. He's, he's not communicating with God. Hey, get your Bible for a second. Got your Bible? Anybody got a Bible? Got a Bible? Get your Bible. Open it just like, open it, open it. Hold its open pages like this. Just like this. Eight people. Come on. This is God speaking to you. Reading the Word is God speaking to you. This is the Word of God from the mouth and the heart of God. And when you pray, that's you speaking to God. Amen. You can have a conversation. So we see the conditions he faced. We see the cause of his choice. Thirdly, and I'm done. We see the cost that Abraham paid. What's the cost that he paid? I want you to think about the letter P, the position of Hagar. The Bible says in verse number 4, when she saw that she conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Suddenly, Hagar, who's been a maid, has gotten out of place. Oh, yes, she married Abraham. But here's the thing. Y'all look at me. Hagar, it's got in her head that now, since Sarah is prettier than her, she's more beautiful, Oh, it's just broke her little heart. But 
She can give to Abraham what Sarah can't. She gives him a child. And so she steps up and she says, I'm no longer a servant. I am now the ruler of this household. And I despise Sarah. And Sarah despised her back. And now they're in contention and they're in strife. Hagar has come out of her position. She's no longer a servant. I'm telling you, the best thing you'll ever do is remember your position with God. You are a child of God. He is the Father. His will be done. Not your will, not your idea, not your opinion, not your belief system. May God's will be done. Do not get out of position. Next of all, the peace of his dwelling. When there's contention between Sarah, his wife, and Hagar, the father of his child, I'm telling you, there is no peace. Peace is our word. No peace in his dwelling. Look at verse 5. Y'all look at verse 5. This is important. Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon who? Thee. Now whose suggestion was it? Yes, he went along with it. But she is stepping away from accepting guilt or responsibility in this situation. She said, this is your fault. You wanted her the whole time we came back from Egypt. I saw how you was looking at it. Don't tell me. And so, look, she even says, the Lord judge between me and thee. You know, what she's, you know what she's doing? She's become, write this down. She's become unreasonable. She is saying that I'm just as good as you are and, I'm just as, and you're just as bad as me. And I'm removing myself from guilt. I'm laying all the guilt on you, Abraham, and all the guilt on Hagar. And to be honest with you, this is really all of God's fault. It's amazing how you want to lay the blame on everybody else and see yourself as so innocent. She's being unreasonable. Do you see it? What about Abraham? Look at verse 6. Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, thy maid's in the hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Write this down. Abraham's got a problem. He's unaccountable. Here's, he's ignoring the problem. He's neglecting his responsibility. Honey, last time I checked, it takes two to tango. Some of us men, you're neglecting your responsibility. You're turning your head away as if there's not a problem that needs to be addressed in the home, in the business, amongst your friends. You're not addressing the problem and you're saying, somebody else's fault. Sarah, you deal with it. It's between you and Hagar. I'm out of it. Oh no, son, you ain't out of it. The whole problem, you did what you did. It's why you ended this whole problem. He's unaccountable. And she is unreasonable. Oh my. Look with me about Hagar. She, she's got a problem too. She's unavailable. The Bible says, when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. She is unavailable. It's amazing. The ruthless Sarah dealt with her and the refusal of Abraham to accept responsibility. And Hagar, her, her idea... When faced with adversity is, I'm out of here. You see, if I ever come back, I'm gone. I'll never be back. This is over. 
I'm out of here. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. It's just the way it's going to be. I'm not coming back. I'm going to hide. She went and hid herself. And the angel of the Lord had to find her. Amen. Some of you right now, you're unavailable. God's trying to deal with you and you're like, talk to the hand. I'm not talking to you right now, God. I don't want to listen right now. I'm so mad at Sarah. Yeah, doing you good, isn't it? Will you hear me for a second? Do you see compromise in this situation? This is what I'm told all the time. As a counselor, as a pastor. Well, pastor, if you wouldn't have such a rigid stand on the Scripture, don't be so bold. Be a little less bold and a little less rigid and compromise a little bit and bring a little of this in and a little of that and let's do a little of this. And when we do, we'll get more people. I have a question. How did compromise work out in Abraham's life? You see, compromise caused, you hope you're hearing me, compromise caused him to have no peace. Oh, preacher, there, compromise will bring peace. No, compromise was no peace whatsoever. You know what else they got? They got the production of a wild man. Hagar and uh, Abraham, they got a boy. His name was Ishmael. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. He will be a wild man. What about that? The production of a wild man. His hand will be against every man. Can you imagine what a grief this boy has become to Abraham? He will be against every man, including his own daddy. And thousands of years later, Ishmael's descendants are still against every man, all because one man failed in his faith. We're still dealing with the day. Now that's my message. Do not forsake the faith. What happens when faith is forsaken, I can't leave it there. Look at chapter 16 again. Sarah said that God is a restrainer. Do you see that in verse number 2? The Lord hath restrained me. He doesn't give me anything. He is against me. Really? Look at chapter 21. Go there. I'm almost done. This is conclusion. Verse 1 and verse 2. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken unto him. She said, God is a restrainer. Check the book. God is not a restrainer. God is a giver. He's given you life everlasting and blessing after... God's been a given God. God's been a good God. Don't you come up in here and tell me, God's against me. God's a restrainer. God's given you second, third, fourth, fifth, 18th, to the humpteenth time. God's been good to you. Amen. Sarah said, well, if it's going to be done, the arm of flesh, I'm going to have to help God out. 
she found out in verse chapter 21, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did. The Lord did. The Lord did. It wasn't anything that Sarah did. It's not the arm of the flesh. You don't need the world's help. Hey, God can well keep every promise he's ever made you. It's the Lord that did it, not the arm of flesh. Sarah said, the Lord judged between me and thee. In other words, if I'm guilty, you're guilty. And they are. And God's dealing with us. He's going to judge us according to our guilt. Look at chapter 21. God gave her a son. She, she says, look at chapter 21, uh, verse number 6. Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. Now, did God deal with you according to your guilt? God says, and the day of calamity comes, because you sent me at naught and you wouldn't listen to me, I will laugh at your calamity. But in this situation, did God laugh at her guilt? God gave her grace. God wasn't laughing at her. He made her to laugh in victory. That ought to run through somebody's soul right now. Because you've gone through some mighty hard places. And I'm telling you, when you hear God say, I am not laughing at you and ridiculing you, I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to give you victory. Somebody ought to help me preach and say, Praise God, preacher. What a blessing. He's going to make me laugh when it didn't look like I'd have, ever have joy again. All I could do was cry and cry and feel like the world was against me. But it turns out, it turns out, He was with me every step of the way. Amen. And He's made me to laugh. Amen. You come, you stand on your feet. Come on to the piano, Seth. Maybe there's somebody. You look at your life and you say, thank God. You didn't deal with me according to my foolishness. You've dealt with me in grace. And I praise you, Lord. Maybe there's somebody right now. Man, they such oppress the arm of flesh, the world, the, the impression it's trying to make on you. Won't you come right now? Come on. Mind God. Preacher, I'm just down here to praise Him. I want to thank Him. Look what He's delivered me from. Look what He's caused in my life. He could have laughed at me and been justified in doing so. But He forgave me. And today I'm smiling. I'm standing here. I'm bound here smiling because He's dealt with me in grace. And I praise His holy name. Woo! Hallelujah. I want to run, youngins. I want to run so bad. God's been good in their lives. Paul, this morning, on bended knee, I bow before your authority. And Lord, I thank you today, God. Lord, yes, there was a cost that Abraham had to pay when he forsook his faith. But Lord, you forgave him when he repented. And you brought him back into perfect fellowship with you. And how you've made him and his wife to laugh and put them in the hall of faith. What a tremendous blessing, God. I pray for someone today. They've been out of place. There's a problem. There's a pressure in their life. God, I pray today, Lord, that you would help them, God, to rectify this situation, to get on their knee, to accept their responsibility, to be accountable, to be available, and bow the knee 
rid of the heart and repent of sin. And so, God, I'm coming today to confess. And I'm coming here to Lord to bow myself before your authority. Touch us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Hallelujah.